everything is going to be okay. I'm going to be a little bit transparent with you uh, for a moment here. Yesterday was a really stressful day for me. I heard about Ohio State ending in-person instructions when I first got here. And I thought, well, that's a little bit of an overreaction. And then shortly after that, I heard that Kent State had done the same. And that Ohio University had done that. And that a whole bunch of other colleges and universities, uh, including, I heard, five in Michigan today. And I went, huh. Then I saw the statement from Government DeWine, Governor DeWine asking about uh, indoor sports events being limited to attendees, limiting the attendees to just family. I was like, holy smokes. We've got the... It's March, people! Do you know what happens in March in an indoor stadium? Do you know how much money we're talking about here? It's... It, whoa! And I said, oh my goodness. And then... And then... There was a story uh, that was circling on, on, on Twitter uh, about uh, the coronavirus at, uh, at CPAC and at, uh, uh, at the American-Israeli uh, political active group and, uh, and the, the government officials that were exposed and now they're self-quarantined. And I went, oh. And then the piece de resistance. I heard about an Episcopal priest in Washington, D.C., who exposed over 500 of his members to the coronavirus. He's sitting in a hospital now because he was infected. And he's got 500 people from his church who are waiting to find out whether or not they've got this thing. And I said to myself, You can quote me on that. Because <laughs> honestly, I'm not scared of getting sick. I suspect that even though I'm asthmatic, I would be okay. But I have a huge responsibility for you. And I kind of like some of you. I mean, all of you. So this is a message that I am preaching to myself as well as to you. And I want you to hear it and believe it. Everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. And I'm not talking about some kind of, you know, starry-eyed Pollyanna-ish foolishness where we're, you know, going to turn that frown upside down and, you know, we're always getting better. The reason that, that I can believe that everything is going to be okay is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, what do I mean by that? Jesus once asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they, they had some interesting answers. You know, the, John the Baptist, Elijah, you know, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. They saw that there was something going on with him. 
And people still, you know, they, they kind of ask this question, who is Jesus? And they come up with all kinds of interesting answers even today. You know, some people say he was a philosopher like uh, Socrates or Plato or, or Aristotle, this wise teacher that, you know, this is how you organize your life. Uh, some see him as a great storyteller along the lines of a Homer or an Ovid who would transmit important moral lessons through the stories that he told. Some see him as a revolutionary, you know, a political radical and feminist who spoke truth to power. Others see him as a guru along the lines of the Buddha, an enlightened soul who, who shows us how to live enlightened lives. And some, some just see him as a fool, too big for his britches and swept away by the powers that he spoke against. Jesus asked his disciples then, who do you say that I am? And in this room, I see some disciples, some followers, some students of Jesus. Who do you say I am? And Peter answers it for us all. You are the Christ. And boy, oh boy, that is an amazing answer. It, it, I'm going to just kind of go out on a, rim, a limb here and say, you know, here we are, you know, we are so used to Jesus being the Christ that it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, you're the Christ. Okay. But for Peter to say that and for that to be in the New Testament is such a huge statement. When he says that you are the Christ, he's saying you're the promised savior. You're the redeemer of God's people. You're You know that thing with Eve in the garden? You know, the one who crushed the serpent's head? That's you. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. that's, that, That's a pretty impactful statement too because the Jews are not like the Greeks. The Greeks had all these stories about the gods and they'd kind of come down and get interested and then they'd have babies with mortals and they called them demigods. People like Perseus and Hercules. And they were the great heroes. The God of the Hebrews didn't do that kind of craziness. He he adopted children. In fact, what he says is that, in Exodus, he says that Israel is my firstborn son. He chooses this whole nation to be his son. And so to say that Jesus is the son of God is to say that, that he is all of God's people. All of God's promises embodied in this one man. And that he is the living God, the son of the living God. And as you read through the Old Testament, one of the big problems that the people of Israel had was idolatry. Where they would worship all these other false gods. And there's this beautiful passage in Isaiah 44. And Isaiah says, look, you take a piece of wood and you cut it in half and you use part of it to bake some bread. You use part of it to roast some meat. And then you carve the other half into an idol and you bow down and you pray to it. How crazy is that? It's a loose paraphrase. But Jesus is the son of a living God. This is the God that is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble.
And this is the God who has revealed his love for you and his desire to do good for you by dying in your place. This is the God who has shown that he has the authority and the power to set all three things right by creating all things. And then by rising from the dead. He atoned for the the sins that, that we have committed, all of them. All of them that we're ever going to commit. And he will heal the brokenness of the world. And he will set straight every injustice and fix everything that is contrary to his will at creation. And he will make all things new. This is the God that Jacob met in a time of fear and trouble. In our Old Testament lesson, you know, Jacob's ladder and, you know, that whole beautiful image that we have there in Genesis. Do you know why Jacob is even there? Because he cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright. And Esau decided, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob said, hey, probably a good idea if I get out of town. And he runs away. And he's there. This is a moment of fear and terror. And he goes to sleep with a rock as his pillow. And when he wakes up, surely God is in this place. And I didn't even know it. When I, when I planned this sermon over a month ago, I wanted to focus on the freedom that we have to confess Christ. I wanted to talk about our freedom to share the gospel and the confidence that allows us to to proclaim that Jesus is our savior from sin and death. I know that it can be intimidating to share your faith. And I also know that trusting Jesus, knowing God's love in Christ, finding that, that God is for you, that's powerful. And when you, when you realize that, that no one can stand against God and God is standing with you, no one, no one can separate you from the, the love of God in Christ, that emboldens us to be able to speak to others about what we believe about Jesus. It is essential that we confess our faith in Jesus in our day-to-day lives. Because how will people believe if they have not heard? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. But sometimes, sometimes you confess that Jesus is the Christ by living with hope. Sometimes you confess that Jesus is the Christ by trusting him, even when things are hard, when things are scary. And to the world's eyes, when things look hopeless. Everything is going to be okay. I recently heard an interview with Uwe Simonetto. Have any of you ever heard of Uwe Simonetto? Okay, Uwe Simonetto was a, uh, he was German, and uh, he was a, War correspondent, went to Vietnam to report on the war there. Um, 
through some of those experiences, he came back to his Lutheran faith and became a Lutheran theologian. Um, never became ordained, but just really thinking about theology and, and how this applies in our lives. Well, Simon Neto was born in 1936. So think about that for a second. 1936 makes him about six, seven, eight years old during World War II. And he talks about the Allies bombing his hometown, Leipzig, Germany. He said that he hid in the shelter with his grandmother. And his grandmother would hug him and tell him, everything is going to be okay. Now, do you think his grandmother had like some kind of, you know, vision of the future that, oh, it's all going to be fine, Uwe? Was she lying to Uwe? Everything's going to be okay. And the reason she could say that to him was because Jesus died and rose for her. She believed that nothing, not even death itself, could separate her from her Savior. I mean, you've got fire coming from the sky. It's going to be okay. One more story. I was talking with a a beloved saint in our congregation who told me, She's not afraid. She's not afraid because we can't control what will happen to us. But we can trust God to take care of us. And I said to her, even if we get sick, even if we die? And she's like, oh yeah. And I smiled at her and I said, because even if we die, we go to be with Jesus and wait for the resurrection. And she smiled so big and said, and that's a really good thing. I'm not saying that we should be stupid. I'm not saying that we shouldn't wash our hands. But I am saying everything is going to be okay. Because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And because of his death and resurrection, you are free to confess and to proclaim the hope you have in him. Amen.